It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Jeff about mysterious episodes he is living through that he is hoping to diagnose. And we are looking for your help this week. We're hoping that you can maybe help us to point Jeff in the right direction. We're trying to crowdsource some information because Jeff's doctors are stumped. So here's the situation. Jeff is having these strange episodes about once a week, usually on the weekend on Sundays, but it can be a day earlier or a day later. And during these episodes, he becomes hypersensitive, aware of his body in a very strange way, and sort of catatonic. It becomes really difficult for him to function, to communicate. He can't focus, his eyelids will start tremoring, and very strangely, the only thing that will kick one of these episodes, that will make one of these episodes stop, is if he goes to sleep. And I don't mean sleep through the night, I mean just fall asleep at all. If he can just get a couple minutes of sleep, he'll wake up and the episode will be over. There have been several theories that maybe this is some sort of migraine aura, maybe a form of seizure. We also discussed the fact that Jeff has Tourette's syndrome, which itself is a neurological disorder. So is there possibly some connection between Tourette's and these episodes Jeff is having? Or maybe even some sort of side effect from Tourette's medication? We just don't know. Jeff's instinct is that this is some sort of seizure, which I think makes a ton of sense. And he's been talking about that with his doctors, but so far they've been unable to prove whether or not these are seizures. So if you've lived through anything like this at all, please take a listen to this episode and then reach out to me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com if you have any ideas. In my mind, the fact that his episodes end if he can fall asleep for even just a couple of minutes. I find that so interesting, and I've never heard anything like that before. So I hope that maybe therein lies the key, uh, and someone out there can find this podcast, can listen to this, and say, hey, I know what that is, and shoot me an email. So majorpainpodcast at gmail.com if you have ideas for Jeff. Jeff is actually a personal friend of mine. I met him through my partner, Andy, who is a musical theater performer, and that's how they know each other, and we've actually done a little bit of work together. Andy actually sang on a pop song that Jeff wrote, and I'm going to play you a clip of that during the episode today after Jeff and I kind of set it up for what it is, because it's just so much fun. I couldn't help myself. Jeff is a musical theater composer who is involved in the Broadway community. And having these episodes, these unpredictable episodes where he can't function, can't work, can't drive, has been a huge problem in his life since they started about seven years ago. Jeff and I chatted recently on the phone about what he's been going through, and the idea to do this podcast was born to sort of, you know, reach out to this community and see if we could hopefully crowdsource some information. So I'm really excited to share this one with you today. It's so interesting talking to Jeff about what he's experiencing, and he'll also tell us a bit about having Tourette's and what that feels like. So it's a great episode of the podcast, and I also have high hopes for this episode to hopefully bring in some tangible information that can help Jeff in his journey. I'm excited to share this with you today, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. Before we jump into our discussion with Jeff, I have some exciting podcast news to share with you, so let's start with the reaction to last week's episode. Last week, we spoke with Karen about Parkinson's disease, and we got this really special comment on the website. This is from Jeff. Not the Jeff we're interviewing on the show this week. Different Jeff. Jeff says, I just listened to this podcast and wanted to thank you for bringing attention to Parkinson's and the impact it has on the lives of those living with the disease. I happen to be one of Karen's children, and I'm so proud she has had this opportunity to share her experiences and knowledge of Parkinson's. I'm excited to add major pain to my list of regular podcasts. 
I was so excited to see this comment. I think it's so special to hear from the son of someone who's appeared on the podcast to get their feedback about what it's like to hear their own parent discussing their major pain on the show. So Jeff, thank you so much for reaching out. I really appreciate it. We also got a brand new patron this week, somebody who signed up on Patreon to support this podcast at the $7 per month patron tier. This person has asked to remain anonymous, but just know that you have my extreme thanks. I'm so grateful that you signed up to support this show. And I have mailed out your gift of a Major Pain coaster made by my mom. They are beautiful. I'm very excited to have these amazing gifts to share with the people signing up to support us on Patreon. If you're interested in signing up to support this show, we have three tiers of support, the $2 per month supporter, $7 per month patron, and $25 per month producer. Each tier comes with different levels of recognition on the show and gifts. And everyone gains access to our monthly bonus episodes with myself and my partner, Andy, and they are always so much fun. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting this podcast at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Anson Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. You can learn more at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Longtime listeners will be aware of the on-again, off-again saga of me trying to decide whether or not to use Twitter to support this podcast. And I have an update for you this week. The saga is over. I deleted our Twitter account. It's done. I'm not using Twitter. I'm removing that from the links in the show notes. I am no longer uh, advertising the show on Twitter at all. And the account is deleted. (laughs) So I finally made this decision for a couple of reasons. You know, I had just started making some progress using Twitter right before Elon Musk purchased the platform and things were going great. I was, you know, uh, connecting to new people and it was really exciting. But after he bought the platform, he changed it. So basically, it favors people who pay to have a subscription to use Twitter. And I am not doing that. And since then, I just didn't see any real interaction with my tweets. And in fact, a lot of what I put up on Twitter was just vanishing completely. So it was a lot of time and effort into something that was not yielding any result. And I decided to just let it go. Here in the third season of Major Pain, I've been sort of experimenting, trying to find new ways to reach new listeners. One of those experiments was to try posting up episodes on YouTube. And I've actually been shocked that, you know, not the episodes themselves, but just posting up YouTube shorts with little clips from the episodes, I've been getting a lot of new interaction from that, which has been really exciting. Posting the full episodes themselves, YouTube doesn't seem to be the best place to do that, so I've sort of slowed down on uh, posting up the full episodes. I might continue to trickle them out, but I'm not making it a priority because it is actually extremely time-consuming. But just posting up the clips that I create for TikTok and Instagram onto YouTube Shorts has been fantastic. So if you're on YouTube and you want to help support this podcast, just follow us on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Major Pain Podcast. I very much appreciate your support. And of course, you can also follow us on TikTok and Instagram, also at Major Pain Podcast. Another great way to support this podcast is by signing up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice. This is an awesome program that allows people with any sort of diagnosis to participate in research studies and surveys and be paid for your time. If you sign up using our link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, you'll be supporting this podcast while you sign up. And if you participate in a research study or survey, you can earn an average of $120 per hour for your time. We had a new person sign up this week. I very much appreciate that, whoever you are. If you're interested in checking out Rare Patient Voice, just click the link in the show notes of this episode, or just head to rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. I'll remind you before we jump into our conversation with Jeff that we are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Jeff. 
about his mysterious episodes and our hope that we can crowdsource some information to help Jeff in the future. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to be here, Jesse. Yeah, it's great to see you. We are real life friends. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, I met you through Andy. I've known you for a little over six years. That's great. Big fan. <laughs> Thank you. You and Andy have done a lot of musical work together. Uh, actually, when I first met Andy, you two were recording an album together. And I learned recently that you've been going through some health challenges and we chatted about it and decided that we really needed to record a podcast about it. So here we are. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity for me to get this out. The reason why I want to share my story is I want to help those who are experiencing the same symptoms and see if those who are experiencing the same uh, symptoms can help me in return. Yeah, that's this is what we were talking about on the phone is this is a, you got a real mystery going on. and It's an enigma. It's an yeah. enigma wrapped inside a conundrum. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, this show started with me sharing my mystery illness, and I've learned so much from doing the show. It's really helped me get a lot closer to a diagnosis. And we're hoping that there's someone out there who has any idea about what Jeff is going through, and maybe we can exactly. yeah, point Jeff in the right direction. So, you know, this is one of those times where we're definitely looking for some feedback, some input uh, about Jeff's situation. We'd love to crowdsource some ideas. But before we get into that, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We got to get to know you a little bit uh, for our listeners out there. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us about yourself? Let's see. I am, well, professionally, I am a musical theater composer, and I've been actively involved in the Broadway community for the past 10 to 15 years. I fell in love with musical theater, having grown up with the cast albums of Andrew Lloyd Webber, and many people seem to ridicule me because of that fact <laughs> but uh but really it was it was because of his uh phantom of the opera that um made me understand musical theater and made me want to pursue it professionally i heard that music i actually my dad is canadian uh i am half canadian and i have a uh, dual citizenship be jealous uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, and, uh, well, you know, if the world takes a, anyway, anyway, not to get pessimistic, um, <laughs> when I was about 15 years old, my dad took me to see the Phantom of the Opera in Toronto when we were visiting my grandmother and I was so smitten by that production. And that night I said to my father, uh, because he was a musician before he went into medicine, I would very much like to learn music theory because if I am to write like my hero, I need to learn how music functions. Mm -hmm. And he got me involved in, uh, in music theory. And uh, then I started composing slowly, but surely. And it's, I've made um, tremendous progress. I feel since my, uh, my first composition, which I, <laughs> I remember when I wrote my first piece of music, we had this Yamaha keyboard and I, and my dad helped me program my first piece of music into it. He played it back and, you know, this was in the, 
this was in like the mid nineties and the synthesizer was so bad <laughs> and the music was so bad. And I felt, I, I felt so emotional that I left the room in tears. <laughs> I heard the playback and I said, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we have made, we have made significant strides since then. Yeah. Um, and we, we've, <laughs> done some uh, collaboration in the past where I've recorded a few things that um, Andy was singing that you had written um, and I've done some mixing and mastering and stuff. We've never been in the same room collaborating together, but uh, I've, I've worked on no, some things the that day is coming. That yeah. I, I feel it. I feel it because you are so brilliant at what you do. Oh, thank and you. So smitten uh, with your talent and, um, and your, your ability and, and your ears. Oh, thank to you so much. Produce the music. And, and I mean, mentioning Andy, I mean, the fact that you have a voice like that at your, I know. your disposal at any time during the day. Yeah. Well, you wrote a song for my little pony called shine, I which I am obsessed with. I adore that song. <laughs> it's so funny. We, uh, my writing partner and I were hired by Hasbro to do a My Little Pony uh, live uh, show, uh, touring show. And um, spoiler alert, it didn't happen due to a certain pandemic. Mm. Uh, but uh, but on my SoundCloud, it's uh, it's my most popular recording and uh and there are so many die hard my little pony friendship is magic uh <laughs> people people out there and it's so funny because many people i don't i haven't spoken to andy in a while but so many people contact me and they say who was that on shine yeah random yeah. people from my website and i said it's andy alhadaf look her up yeah it's an amazing dance song <laughs> it's like it's it's incredible pop music which first of all like i i love pop music i write synth pop music and also andy did such a great job singing it because she really tried to get into like a character um as she was singing and i was just sitting there at the computer you know pressing record start and stop and i'm just like this is gold i love this <laughs> i want to see you If you're listening, go look up Shine. Uh, yeah, My Little Pony Live Shine. Yes. Featuring Yo Hadith as uh, the pony rarity. <laughs> pony's name. Yes. Very good stuff. Okay. Let's get into what we're here to talk about today. So, Jeff, what is your major pain? My major pain is, as I said, it's a, a big question mark. About seven years ago, I experienced these episodes that debilitate me and the more i lived i would start recognizing trends with these episodes i started getting them once a week and it's been fairly consistent ever since so this was oh gosh probably 2014 and i never 
thought something was wrong. I just said, oh, I'm probably tired. I'm probably, you know, not recognizing that something was not right in my system. And I would tell family about it. And they said, oh, you're, you're not, you're fine. And, uh, but then I remember I was in Midtown when I was living in New York City at the time. I was in Midtown and I was experiencing one of these episodes and I was a little panicked. And I remember calling my mom and I said, you know, I'm losing, I, I, I feel like my vision is blurry. And that was the first time within my family that they recognized that this was something because I had been complaining about it for um, at least a, a few months uh, prior. When you say that these episodes are debilitating you, what does that mean? What, what do they feel like? I feel like I cannot function as a human being. When I'm faced with an episode, and we'll call them episodes because we don't know what else to call them. When I'm faced with an episode, I cannot communicate with people. I cannot have a normal conversation. I cannot have a professional conversation for that matter. I can't enjoy myself when I'm supposed to be enjoying myself. I can't focus on work when I need to be focusing on work. I feel a hypersensitivity in my body. I feel super cognizant of my weight. What happens all the time is that my eyelids start tremoring. Mm. And I remember I said to a friend, I, I, I closed my eyes and I said, are my eyelids tre tremoring? And he said, yes, they are. And uh, I have peripheral vision, but I get extremely nervous what's to the right and to the left of me and what's behind me. And I can only focus on what's directly in front of me. Hmm. And I freak out. I guess that's a way of saying it. When an episode strikes me, I get very nervous around people. Um, and, and the thing is that if, if you were to ask me a, a very simple task, if you were to say, Jeff, there's an apple on the counter and I'm 10 feet away from the counter. Can you go get that apple and bring it to me? I will go and get that apple, but it will be very hard for me to do the task. Mm -hmm. I know we're going to talk about this probably in depth, but it is brought on when I'm very anxious. It is brought on in tense professional situations, but it also is brought on when I'm in the most calm place mm. possible. We live near this yoga retreat and I was taking a breathing class and I got an episode right then and there in a breathing class <laughs> when you're supposed to be relaxing and when you're supposed to be relaxed. And here I am experiencing one of these episodes when I was in the most Zen place humanly possible. Yeah, it sounds like your body goes into 
hyperstimulation overload and it's like you flip a switch and suddenly you can no longer function basic functionality becomes extremely difficult and that sounds terrifying and i'm sure that the fact that it's happening at all is bringing about more anxiety but something that you and i were talking about on the phone is the fact that it's been extremely hard for you to get to the bottom of this because when you mention to a doctor that it can happen during anxious moments, they immediately just assume that that's the cause. And they completely ignore you when you say, well, it also happens when I'm calm. Like this is, yeah, this is something that causes anxiety because it's terrifying, but anxiety is not, in your experience, the trigger. Um, There are other things that trigger it, like being calm. (laughs) So it seems like there's an internal process happening that is yet to be uncovered. and, And that the uncovering of it keeps being blocked because like everyone with a chronic illness, a mystery situation or an undiagnosed disability of any kind, um, doctors will latch on to anyone saying anything about anxiety and sort of stop listening to the rest. It would be easy to say this is induced by anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? But the fact that it isn't just makes it so much more of a question. I remember going to New York City to see a Broadway show when I was a mid-late teenager. And I remember being in the city for the first time and the overstimulation that was happening around me. The, The sensory overload caused me to experience these kind of feelings. I wasn't in an episode, but it was the beginning of feeling that way. Mm. And the episodes have morphed and have become a lot more dramatic as I've gotten older. Um, But I, I do remember a significant moment when I was in the city and it was sensory overload as New York city is and me feeling this way. Hmm. But the difference is uh, back then I was able to kick it without the influence of drugs um, or without, uh, or, or just letting time take its effect on me. The thing about my episodes is that the only thing that seems to kick it is falling asleep. Yeah. I was telling a parent about this and because sleep seems to be the thing that kicks this consistently, he thought I had a migraine. And the thing to add into the conversation is that these episodes don't hurt. I am not in pain. Migraines run in my family. My mom experiences before she was medicated for migraines, she would experience five migraines a week, serious migraines. So migraines run in my family. The other thing uh, that um, the other thing to say is that I have Tourette syndrome. Mm. And in my research, I feel like there could be something that Tourette's plays in this equation. Yeah, I'm certain of that as I'm not certain of many things, but I I have put a pin in that. Yeah, I mean, this is all so interesting. You were telling me when we spoke last week that even if you just fall asleep for five minutes, then it'll end your episode. It's like that on switch is flipped off by sleep, which is so interesting. 
And, you know, I know from experience with, with my mystery illness that we now think could be mast cell activation syndrome, that when I was having an episode, which, you know, if, if the diagnosis is correct, it's because I was, maybe I ate something with too much histamine and, and I was completely unmedicated. So let's say it, it is mast cells that is the culprit for me. It's like my body is flooded with all these um, chemicals, uh, all these mediators when my mast cells activate when they shouldn't. And then I would go into these weird episodes where I would be sort of like unable to speak. Um, I'd be shaking. I could not do basic functions. I'd need to be taken care of in those moments. Muscle spasms. If I, and sometimes I would speak and it'd be really slow and slurred. I couldn't think straight. Uh, I felt like I was in an altered state of consciousness. It makes me empathize with what you're saying because it sounds kind of familiar to some of these episodes that I would experience. And then my, my experience of the world and of my own emotions and uh, everything would go to a completely different place that was very strange and uncomfortable. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's scary. And I had to learn how to live through that without being anxious about it. You know, once I got used to it, which I very much did because it happened constantly for years and years and years. But yeah, it's so, it's so interesting to think about going through an episode like that and the way that it affects you know, your neurochemistry and the way that you're experiencing the world around you. Um, and then trying to get to like, what is the culprit? What is causing that? It sounds like there is some sort of neurochemical process at play. And I will say that I have been anxious and the episodes did not overcome me. Like mm. the, I didn't get an episode yeah. when I'm in a, a state of stress, when, when, when I'm, I'm just dealing with the stress of life. Yeah. I mean, at one point I was diagnosed with a conversion disorder, which was basically a doctor telling me that my anxiety was creating a neurological dysfunction. Um, that's why I'm, I'm touchy and protective over these issues because her telling me that sent me into the worst anxiety spiral I've ever been in, where I started thinking, oh, I'm causing this. A doc I, you know, I really didn't believe it, first of all, but then I kind of had to reckon with it because a doctor had given me that diagnosis. So, I had to like do all of this internal work to say, okay, well, can I de-anxious myself to the point where this stops happening? And it almost broke my brain in half because that wasn't what was happening. And I couldn't do that um, because it wasn't a correct diagnosis. So, I am someone who believes very strongly that more often than not, when a doctor tells a patient that something is just anxiety, it's because they haven't looked under the right rock yet. And I also think this, this connection with um, Tourette's is so interesting. And we, I, you know, we've never had anyone with Tourette's on the podcast before. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, Tourette's, it's obviously neurological. My Tourette's hit me very intensely when I was in, um, oh gosh, uh, third grade, I think. Mm. I would have triggers which would make me scream in class. There are certain sounds that still to this day, because of Tourette's, just make me violently angry. Mm. But I used to, you know, I would see a light bulb and I would say, I need to go lick that light bulb. Mm. And yes, there will be pain from licking a light bulb, but I just have to do it because that is what my brain is commanding me to do. Mm. And so I would do it and then I would do it again and I would do it again. <laughs> and, and it, uh, 
you have no control over yourself. You have no control over your body. It's, it's as if you have some force that is commanding you to do something that you as a regular human have no control over. Yeah, fascinating. It sounds to me like, you know, when I think of Tourette's, I think of the classic case of someone throwing words into a sentence that are not a part of the sentence, you know, sort of having a random curse word or something inside of a sentence. That wasn't me. That wasn't me, actually. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. It sounds like you have a completely different presentation. Are there different forms of Tourette's? Is there like a subtype that you have that you've been diagnosed with? No. No subtype. The way I recognize it is is simply Tourette syndrome. Yeah. Well, and this is so interesting, the, you know, Tourette's being a neurological condition and you having these neurological episodes, it makes a lot of sense that there could be a connection there. So, you've ha been having these episodes for at least seven years, maybe a bit longer, and I'm assuming you've talked to doctors about it many times. What sort of uh, feedback have you gotten from doctors when you ask them about it? They don't know what it is. The thing about the pandemic that was good for me is that I was able to have the time to properly go to the doctor and that the care was um, was near me. So I could start having tests. Um, at first, they thought, like my parents, uh, that it could have been uh, not a, not migraines, but migraine auras, mm -hmm. uh, which are, as you know, the symptoms of your body reacting to a migraine without an actual migraine, without an actual migraine hurting you. Right. Um, after that, we started thinking... Um, if it was a seizure and i don't know why but i it i felt it feels like a seizure yeah very recently my psychiatrist recommended i take lorazepam mm -hmm. and i remember a few weeks ago i was experiencing an episode and i took a lorazepam and it kicked it really with sleep. Wow. And I'm taking a very low dose of lorazepam because those who know it's, it's, uh, it's, you can develop addiction to it very easily. Um, but, uh, I was talking to a friend who was also on lorazepam and he said that lorazepam is used for anxiety first and foremost, anxiety, but it's also used to treat seizures. Yeah. I used to take it, actually, when I first had my big flare-up in my 20s. That's one of the things they prescribed to me. Interesting. I will say my journey of drugs. <laughs> um, we started with Buspor, Buspor-in, <sighs> and the Buspor had an effect on me and it still does. And I used to take 10 milligrams up to three times a day when I had, when I was experiencing an episode, hmm. but then they moved it to taking it three times a day as a preventative so that I don't, I wouldn't get an episode. Um, at first 
I thought it was really working until, uh, of course, I I got an episode regardless of that. They upped my dose of Buspor. So I take 15 milligrams uh, three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And if I experience an episode, I take uh, 0.5 milligrams uh, of lorazepam, which, as I said, is not a high dose, but I can take it up to uh, twice um, per episode. Hmm. And for my Tourette's, I take Haldol. I take 2.5 milligrams at bedtime. Okay. One thing I've noticed is that I mean sometimes when I'm when I'm feeling particularly twitchy, I take five milligrams of Haldol. I I usually cut these very small pills in half, but I I would take a um I would take a full Haldol, and sure as shooting the next day when I took five milligrams of Haldol. I would experience an episode. Really? Well, and, and also when I, early when I was experiencing these things, I would have a diary. I would track what I was eating. Um, I am a devout coffee drinker. And I said, I wonder if the coffee is triggering something. And so I stopped drinking coffee for about three weeks and not only was I uh, still getting episodes, but I was getting more episodes. Wow. How long have you been taking the Haldol for Tourette's? All my life. All yeah. my life. Since, uh, since third grade. That has been consistent in my life. Hmm. But I don't, I barely take any. I feel like the Haldol helps my Tourette's, but I can't prove that it actually does simply because of of the low dosage that i take yeah that could be just my mind saying yeah you're taking this therefore you're okay but but there's the you know your mind can play tricks on you yeah well it could be you know it could be worth looking into haldol and the side effects and maybe asking a doctor hey is it possible that i could be experiencing some rare side effect from this medication who knows i mean you know as as we said at the beginning of this it stinks that we need to live in fear of this. We need to yeah. constantly live in fear of when these episodes are going to hit us. And what I want, I mean, look, I I I guess I could live with this. What else, what other choice do I personally have? I just want to know what this thing is. Yeah so that i don't need to live in constant fear of it and maybe understand it a little more yeah i remember i was in london recently and an episode hit me and uh and the only thing i could do was go back to my hotel room and and lie down um and just try to fall asleep even with uh just a window of time uh I, i i I didn't have much time and I was trying so desperately to fall asleep. But when you set your alarm for 30 minutes, you know, or set your timer to go off in 30 minutes, it, it doesn't make, it doesn't help your relaxation. <laughs> How has it changed your life having these episodes? It's changed my life dramatically simply because I 
live in fear of them. It, if I were driving and I, I and if I come face to face with an episode, I don't know what would happen. I the only thing that I think I could do is pull over and <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing relaxing about pulling over to the side of the road when traffic is zooming past you um and you're you're trying to kick this thing so driving the inability to drive is a concern also i mean for work i need to find jobs where i can be remote mm-hmm. if i were fully employed and i'd have to go somewhere if i had an episode during work it would debilitate me and i and how do you explain to your boss that you have this thing i mean god forbid you're in a meeting and you have to have a presentation and this and you get hit with it and um I mean, every time when I'm when I'm doing musical theater and I'm in a rehearsal room, I always take it upon myself to say to the director and the stage manager and the producer that this goes on with me. If if, if you find that I'm distant, uh, or if I'm in another part of of the building or in another spot in the rehearsal room, it's probably happening. And I'm happy that I know this is a thing and I know it's not me just, just making excuses for fatigue. This is something that is happening to me and I need to express to those that I'm working with that this is a thing so that when inevitably it happens and it does that this is what I need to do. Yeah. usually what I need to do is step away and figure out how to get back to wherever I'm staying in the city or wherever I am. And I just need to lie down. It's unfair. Yes, it's unfair to me that I'm dealing with this, but it's unfair to my collaborators who depend on me and my professional opinion to be at rehearsal and seeing how things are going and it's really tough but but again talking about it i think is is very important and that's something that i never did originally and what i consistently do now yeah it's so frustrating i can only imagine that fear of i mean especially of it happening while you're driving or something like that and in those ways it very much sounds like seizures you know like an absent seizure or something like that yeah. And it again, I don't know what kind of seizure it is, but something tells me it's a seizure. And I've had an e- EEG. Mm-hmm. I've had three MRIs and they don't detect seizures in my brain. Well, did it ever, did you ever have an episode during an EEG? Never, never. That's the problem. And yeah. I, Yep, exactly. That's the thing. Because usually when they schedule me for these EEGs, it's in the morning. And the thing that I didn't say that that I'll say now is that 
episodes don't happen until around 1230 until after 1230 in the afternoon. Hmm. I not to my knowledge, to my recollection, I've not had an episode that hit me before 1230. Yeah. And you said they happen generally once a week. They happen generally once a week. Correct. Is there a day of the week that they normally happen? Today. Today. Oh, we might get lucky. <laughs> um, Sundays. So, yeah. I, so, so, so Sundays, sometimes sometimes they're, they prolong a day. Sometimes it's Monday. Yeah. Sometimes it's Friday. I remember very rarely... I can count on one hand when it's happened two days in a row. I just did a great episode recently with Micah about um, seizures, breakthrough adult onset epilepsy. And he was talking about going into a seizure clinic. I think he said he was there for about 30 days with (laughs) being monitored the whole time. And they finally caught a seizure right at the end of this. And that's something that might be worth looking into because you'd only hopefully need to be there for a week. And if you plan it right, you might only need to be there for a weekend um, if you get lucky and have an episode as you normally do once a week. Right. Because that would be a huge piece of information. If you can be hooked up to all the electrodes and everything while it's happening, they can tell you that whether or not it's a seizure, you know, or, or if it's something else. Um, I, I had an EEG for my weird episodes uh, about a decade ago, and I was feeling really bad that day and twitching on the table, but it wasn't showing any seizure activity. So that was like, I got really lucky that it kind of had some conclusive evidence that it wasn't seizures um, right away. Cause I thought that what I was having might be a seizure as well. Um, which, you know, in this type of situation, it's almost as good to know what you don't have as what you do have, because right. then you can kind of focus into the right direction. Right. Well, I really hope there's someone out there listening who has some ideas I feel like I'm coming up with ideas, but I don't know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> um, besides my own experience of, you know, avenues that I've gone down in the past, I do know that there's a lot of things out there to try. There's a lot of things to pursue, and it's just about finding the right places to go, finding a neurologist or someone who's willing to listen and understand and order tests and keep trying until you get it right. And there are doctors out there that are capable of that. They're just hard to find. Right. Is that frustrating to you that this has proven so difficult? We all kind of are taught to believe that doctors are there for us and they're going to help us through these things. But when you have needed help the most, you haven't yet found that doctor who's willing to really fight for you. Right. I mean, I mean, I don't necessarily think my doctors are uncaring or, or, or dare I say nefarious. I just don't think they have personally come face to face with this, with such a thing. And um, the more people I see, the more of a bigger question mark it becomes, which makes me a little scared. I said, I said to my uh, my doctor when I first spoke to him about this at the beginning of the pandemic, I said. I want to tell you what I'm dealing with. And the thing that I'm most scared about is that you, you'll have nothing for me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we've just been 
on this journey of experimenting with drugs and uh and um i've been living uh with this where i with every episode i learn something i learn something new maybe uh a different way how to describe it to people mm. or to, to a neurologist uh, or to a psychiatrist. Um, and, uh, but, but, um, you know, the reason that I'm here with you today is that I can, I don't know how articulate I am, but, um, but I can talk about it a lot better than I could uh, years prior. Well, I really appreciate you sharing with us. I really want you to get to the bottom of this and come back on the podcast and tell us what it is someday in the future. Me too. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be, that would be a, a triumphant, uh, that would be a triumphant podcast for sure. Yeah. So I know that you're searching for an answer and something we're really hoping is to connect you with someone else going through something similar. So if you were to be able to address someone else, if we knew there was someone else out there going through the same thing, Two questions. One, what would you want to say to them? And two, what would you want them to say to you? If they had figured out a way how to kick this without the remedy of sleep, um, and if they could figure out if they knew how to kick this within an hour's time, I would love to know if that is a thing. Mm. Um, those who are at the beginning of their journey I, I could recommend the drugs that I'm taking, um, but I would like them to know that they're not alone in this and that talking about it is the most crucial thing that you can do. And they're not alone on this journey, hopefully with an end destination. So you don't have to go through your entire life struggling with this, which I, as we've said for the last seven years or seven plus years, I have been. Yeah. I love that you are open about it, that you're reaching out and trying to connect about it. I think that's so important. You know, we're very often put under pressure by society to keep silent about these types of things. And it takes a lot of courage to be open about it and to, you know, approach your coworkers and tell them what's going on and advocate for yourself and make space within your workspace for these episodes to happen because you don't have control over when they do or not. So it takes a lot of courage to do that. I commend you for that. And to not make excuses uh, when there is something truly happening to you. Yeah. It's not, it's not fatigue. It's not, Oh, you're, you're just, you're just anxious. You're, you're just having an off day when things like this happen at the rate that they do, there is something not right in, in, in terms of how you exist in the world. Something is definitely at play here that you don't need to make an excuse for, and you can be open and honest that something's wrong. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. What a puzzle. I hope that this podcast, our listeners can in some way help. Um, if people have ideas, please reach out. You can email me at majorpainpodcast at gmail.com and I will forward things along to Jeff. If that works for you, Jeff, does that sound good? Absolutely. Great. I welcome all of it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. 
Yeah. And before you go, tell us where can people connect with you online? Anything you'd like to plug or share? <laughs> um, my website is uh, jeffthompsonmusic.com. It's, uh, it's uh, Thompson with no P. T H O M S O N and uh and there there you can hear uh my uh my hit uh my little pony demos <laughs> featuring the glorious Andy Alhada. Yes, very worth <laughs> listening to. I'll put a link to your website in the in the show notes. Jeff, it's always a pleasure to see you and to catch up. Um I really hope that we can move forward with your mystery and and make any progress at all. Um but I think that the strength that you are developing to speak about it openly and to advocate for yourself um, is really going to be such a positive thing for you. And, you know, I can see it already is such a positive thing that you're learning these skills. So if we can get this diagnosis and get these episodes under control and you have all of this experience learning how to be open about what you're struggling with, you know, I think that that's going to be a really powerful combination. Well, that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us today. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci fi synth pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters-Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncie, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at Patreon.com dot com slash major pain podcast.